podcast. Amazingly, we are already on episode four, which also feels maybe like 400 to some people, uh, as I'm Owen Newkirk and he's Sean Shapiro, and we are still in our respective shelter-at-home locations, our homes, amazingly enough. Sean, it's been a month of Quarcast now. How are you holding up? I've been hanging in there. I mean, it's been uh, it's an adventure within my own home. It's something that's been... <laughs> I just, that's the best way to put it. You've got, uh, let's see, haven't left the house much. Been a couple. I do take the, I've been social with, within a safe distance. I take the dogs for a walk each night. When, and every anytime you see someone else on the street, you cross over to the other side of the street right away. So, um, but it's been, uh, it's been, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things for me. And obviously we have kids at different ages, so I'm sure it's, it's similar but different. Where for me, there's no uh, every day kind of feels the same. Yeah. Kind of just kind of where it's not like a toddler realizes, oh, it's a weekend. We're gonna sleep in. <laughs> we're gonna sleep in on Saturday. <laughs> we're gonna sleep in on Saturday, or we're gonna. Um, my my wife made had a funny commentary the other day about if we had if we didn't have a toddler, we'd probably be drinking a lot more. But just right now, you just yes. get through. You get through the day and. She goes to bed. Um, last night, she was, we let her stay up a little bit later last night because they did like this dip, big Disney sing-along thing on ABC last oh, night. Oh, nice. And so, just and Evie watched that while I took the dogs for a walk. And then I got back from the... And we still went to bed and just crashed because she's still going to... Even though she stayed up a little bit late, she was still up at 7. <laughs> she was still up at 7 this morning. I mean, I know we were a little late getting this, getting this started because you were making breakfast for your kids at 10. I mean, I'm three hours past breakfast already. So. Yeah, I mean, my kids get up. The, the biggest difference is from... Well, there's a lot of differences in age, yes. of course. We also have school to deal with, whereas you're not at that level yet, although she's learning every day, I'm sure, um, yeah. is that my kids get up uh, pretty early... Um, but we've trained them over the years that they can, especially on non-school days. Now, of course, this is at home, yep. so school is different. But on days where we don't have to get up and get the kids physically to school, sort of a, hey, you know, you can get yourself a few things so maybe mom and dad can get a few extra winks yeah. of sleep. And so it just depends. I mean, we're, we're staying up because and, – and maybe that's what our, our hourly change is, is that because – our routine has changed because we don't have to get up and be at school by a 7.45 bell. It means we don't have to go to bed quite so early. So we're all, yeah. as a family, staying up a little bit later. And then everyone's sort of getting up a little later. It's like we've moved back to Pacific time or something, and yet nobody's really noticed. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and the, the best thing about Pacific time is, is is sports, but there's no sports happening, so you're not getting the benefit of Pacific. Time. I know what's the disappointing I actually, part. I would actually, 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 I would argue the best the best time zone for sports is actually Mountain Time, but that's a uh, but that's because that aligns better with both of our interests, where you can still watch Premier League games at a reasonable time in the morning, and there's not these super late starts like East Coast. To me, I think Mountain Time is the ideal window for a sports watching. Yeah, I thought that Central was actually pretty solid as long as Central and, uh, or I should say, any of American time zones are linked up with the Greenwich Mean Time as far as Daylight Savings versus Standard Time. Because the U.S. changes a little bit differently than European time zones do. They move theirs a few 
Oh, it's a while ago now when they stretched daylight savings a little bit farther. And so there's a change, and I don't know if you recognize this, but we're both soccer fans. We both watch afternoon Champions League games. And I actually like how when it's lined up right, it's like a 1 to 3 o'clock window, or, yeah. um, which or 2 to 4, I think, actually, maybe is, is more. There's, there's a window in there. Maybe it's 1 to, th- to yeah. 3 because what it does is that it allows us to do a morning skate down at American Airlines Center during normal times, get home, have lunch, watch that game, and then get ready and leave for a game that night, and it fits the window perfectly. When the daylight saving shift isn't lined up with the either England or mainland mm-hmm. continental Europe, it seems yeah. like it throws it off just a little bit, and then you have to hope to catch the end of it because you had to leave the house. Yeah. It's something I was thinking about the other day because I remember when because we were in Denver when the national when the college football championship game happened this year and I believe it was a six p.m. start uh, I believe it was a six p.m. start in Denver Mountain Time and it was just it was it was great because it was one of those where it wasn't it was perfect time to go get a bite to eat and dinner and it's not like it was the East Coast start where the game I think started at eight on the East Coast where it would have been gotten to the point of like you know what I'm probably passing out I'm going back to the hotel I'm getting some sleep right but but with the, the six o'clock like so all, all, all aboard for mountain time as far as sports watching it for me I would I, and and you know what uh, I, I like I really like living in Dallas Fort Worth but mm-hmm. the one thing I miss uh, is the difference in scenery because um, it's pretty flat in most parts of DFW um, when you talk about mountain time the first thing I think of is what it looks like in the Rockies um, yeah. The I remember the first time I went to Colorado Springs and Denver. It's just, it's just right there, and it's just awesome. And I grew up in Maine with lots of mountains. Uh, the Appalachian Mountains come up through Maine. There's also some other random ones that are not in the trail, so to speak, but still all over the place. I mean, there's a thousand foot mountain, which isn't that big, but compared to Dallas, it's huge, and, and the ocean. And so when you have mountains, big trees, and water. Uh, larger than you know some of the small lakes around here, that's pretty uh, pretty fun. So that's what I missed. But again, it's probably worth it because winters here are so easy compared to the Northeast. Yeah. You grew up in New Jersey and and Michigan. You know what it's like winter up north, and it's it's not like that down here. Well, it's funny you actually can. No, people can't listening can't hear me. But we have. I'm up in my wife's office right now since it's upstairs, and I can close the door, and all the any chaos can ensue downstairs. <laughs> but but I've got the uh, we have, we have in a couple of rooms in our house. We have the uh, like behind me right now. You can see it. I've got the kind of the mountain range painted on the wall. Uh, this is the fourth week in a row I've seen that's that yeah. that yeah. set up. Actually, a, no, that's not true because I think you were I, in your office for the first one. Yeah, I did in my office, but then my office is just a room right off our dining room, which is where... Oh, but it's lovely. Can... Yes, yes. But we have the uh, yes, we have the kind of mountain range here in Christina's office, and then we have a similar... Uh, we had something similar painted in our room downstairs. My mom's a, my mom's a muralist, so it was... Uh, this, this, I find the mountains very relaxing. I've always enjoyed the trips to Denver or any, any place like that. I've always really enjoyed the, the mountains there. So and the reason why I brought up this unplanned digression, which of course is very common for us, so even though it's unplanned, it's not out of the realm of possibility, is when you said mountain time, my first thought was, man, if we live near mountains that are scarcely populated, you could go out and hike in those without... Oh, yeah without violating proper social distancing. And that would be something that would be really cool. Cause I mean, we've been out 
walking our dogs and running and yeah. riding bikes again properly distance which is easier to do in the suburbs than it is in a more urban area but it would be really cool to have those kind of serene rocky hikes or you know even the ones where i'm from originally without you know a lot of nature a lot of wide open spaces and fresh air yeah no i agree it's, it's something that'd be nice like we even have a kind of a nature path near our neighborhood but it's been closed off since all of this right now. They yes, to, and that's tough because that's a, yeah. it would be a funnel for people, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. If it was open, you'd have everyone would be walking on it and everything. So, so I understand it, the, but it's kind of, yeah. The funny thing is, is that Sean and I are catching up as if we haven't talked in a week, and that's far from the case. <laughs> so this just goes to show everybody that listens that this is just what happens. Like... We could say, how are you doing? And then five minutes later, we've had eight topics and are going deep on something we had no idea and that we were going to talk about. Like, for example, we could talk about what Sean's wearing on his hat, but I'm going to not digress further right yeah. now because that uh-huh. would just completely kill the segment. Um, I had sort of a mini rapid fire. I'm a huge George Carlin fan, so I, I suggested the topic of free-floating hostility. The problem is I'm not really angry by any of these. Yeah. Sean is on one of them, but let's get to the first one. Okay. You had an article earlier this week where you caught up with uh, Stars defenseman Miro Haskinen, and Miro came across like Miro does. And for people that have never met him, and obviously we cover the team in a couple of different ways, so... Um, we've gotten a chance to sort of see his personality, at least who, how he handles himself in front of media and broadcasting. And I don't think there's any difference to the way that Miro handles himself with everybody else. He's very... Uh, the word robotic doesn't sound right because that suggests he doesn't have passion and emotions and intensity. He does. And I'm sure Miro has all of that burning inside him. It's just that he's so um, regimented in how he approaches things. He's so almost machine-like... And I, I sort of my take of reading your whole Q and A with him because he's back in Finland is that's how you want every one of your high profile superstars to behave because it feels like being the best hockey player he can be is his first and last thoughts of the day and you know there is some other stuff about you know family girlfriends and stuff yep. sprinkled in this guy is incredibly serious is probably better than any of the other adjectives I've used so far. So it's, it's really interesting. One thing that I, I was thinking about when I saw this, because I don't know if, if you remember, um, do you remember it was back in, let's see, when did, was it in January? When, January or February when the Stars went to Toronto? Was that in February? I'm, oh, gosh. I want to say it was in, well, it was, remember Tyler had that long goal streak that he, or goal drought. I, I want to say in, it was February. I think it was February. Because they didn't February. they play Tampa and Toronto. I mean, we could actually look yeah, up a schedule, yeah. but I, I, I believe it was February. They played I mean, Toronto at the end of January, coming out of the bye week. So I think it was February when they yeah. did the return leg. And so when I was in, when I went to Toronto for that game, that was the same. That was the same trip. I went out to I went out to Mississauga and and talked to Thomas Harley, and talked to Harley about his his game and his progress and everything like that. That's and, right. And Thomas Harley is was uh, has a healthy ego about him, has a healthy seriousness about him. And I noticed there was a bunch of people who were who read that, and I read some comments in the stories who said, "Man, this kid sounds like a dick." Just, just <laughs> to be frank, no, they said like this kid sounds like a dick. Like he hasn't earned anything yet. He right. hasn't done anything like that. And 
and one of my favorite parts of that story was a rich peverly was the uh, is the stars director of player development now and everything like that has said well you don't make the nhl if you don't have ego and my point being the ego and the confidence thomas harley has it's the exact same thing miro hashkinen has it's the exact same it's very it's very similar um now obviously the whether how colorful their quotes are in English are a little bit different. Yeah, that's, is it, that's probably the language barrier, isn't it? Yeah, and that comes into it. But it's very – but it's that – it just kind of reminded me of – and now I'm not saying Thomas Harley will be like Miro Hishkin. However, I'm talking about – when you're talking about these elite guys who are, in theory, could play in the NHL as teenagers, like Miro did and Harley might, well, who knows, you have to have that seriousness and that ego of – I'm one of the best in the world. I can be one of the best in the world, and I'm and I don't have any and I and that can't be something I have to hide. That has to be an aspiration that I'm not afraid to admit to myself and publicly. The I guess the other part I'm I'm referring to in addition to that is yeah. just the fact that Miro seems like a guy who's so driven to be the best in the world, not just the best he can be, but I mean obviously the best he can be, but yeah. to be one of the best defensemen, if not the very best, and he said as such that I don't see him as a young guy, and I, I haven't questioned it yeah. anyway, that of being derailed for lack of motivation or other interests. Not saying he doesn't have them, but I don't think that he will get sidetracked as far as what his focus is. Now, of course, anything can happen in somebody's career, with, and some of the, the physical is hard to control yeah. yourself, but from a mental standpoint, he seems like this is exactly what, you know... You, you would if you were doing an interview with a with a potential draft pick, and you heard Miro speak, you'd go, "This guy is incredibly dedicated to his craft. There's no red flags at all about his mental no. approach." Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the other the other thing about Miro that's Miro's life basically evolves around. Uh, okay, since I've been since I've been. Whenever I mean, it goes. I've got this wasn't in this story, but I remember I, I met Miro's parents before his first season, and I remember his mom even joking. And his parents, are, their English is a little bit more broken. They understand English, but they but they don't they they're not pro athletes who spend time around other English speakers all the time. Mm-hmm. But I remember his mom and dad, his mom even joking about how like Miro's dad. So Miro's dad is a uh, he works he work he his, he basically builds and fixes. Uh, uh, automatic doors that's what his dad does and his mom's a kindergarten teacher and so his, his mom would be home already she'd do dinner whatever they eat dinner whatever his dad would get home a little bit later and Miro would be like a four-year-old just sitting there with skates just waiting for dad to get home <laughs> just, just yeah and just I waiting for waiting for dad to get home to go skate and that was and that was and that, that was Miro since he was like four years yeah. old and there'd be times where he'd have a He'd have a great game. He'd have a great game, and he'd have no reaction in the car. And his mom says, "Like we would always joke with Miro of like, oh, you're so excited. Like his mom is making fun of him. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, but that's just who he is. Like yeah. he literally, like his his programming and him as a human is, I'm going to be the best defenseman in the world. That's what I'm working towards. 
And I mean, kind of the, the notion of where, where someone asked, we asked, we asked the question, and this was the format where I took Twitter questions from, from readers. And someone said, oh, well, do you set goals for the season? He says, oh, not really. And then I kind of said to him, I said, well, Miro, I mean, you and I have talked about it. You said your goal is to be the best defenseman in the world. And he kind of said, it's like, oh, yeah, matter of factly, like not like. Well, of course, like, yes, but this, not individual like, goals. So it's like, it's like, it's not like it's a big deal to him to, to say for him. To say I'm a 20 year old and I want to be the best defenseman. That's normal. That's something right. that there are lots of defensemen. There are lots of players that you've covered who are who are whatever age, and they'll be like, oh, I'd like to just if, if I can, I'd love to just make it in the NHL. I'd love to just stick in the NHL. This isn't that. This is a lofty. I will be one of the best in the world, and not only do I think I'll be one of the best in the world, I'm already on the right track. I have. Yeah, so, and he said without any, it wasn't ego. It was just matter of factness in your article. I think I'm getting pretty high up there already. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. it like talking to Miro on the phone back in Finland? Because you did this earlier this week. So I think it's interesting because I have a pretty good relationship with Miro, and even though the even though the quotes are probably similar to even if you if you were to interview Miro and you had no relationship with him, you probably you might get some similar quotes. But I think I have a pretty good relationship with him from working with him on a daily basis throughout the regular season and having gone to Finland and seen him over there, I have a pretty good relationship of understanding and getting to, to kind of expand on what he means a little bit more, even if the quote's not there. Like, for example, a, a perfect a perfect one is the when someone asked, oh, who was your favorite player growing up? And, and who was your favorite team growing up? And the only real quote in there was it's the Detroit Red Wings, but him and I actually had right. a little bit of a – him and I actually had a conversation, and I didn't even put the quote in there because it's, I didn't need to quote it, but it's him and I had a conversation about Datsuk and and kind of a little bit more of a free-flowing conversation about Datsuk and the Red Wings and things like that. And when you go back and listen to it to try and transcribe it, it's, it's not worth it because it's not really – it's kind of broken. It's very it's, – it's a give and take. It's not really – it doesn't really – revert well to a good quote format for lack of a better word so um, <laughs> so for me for me it's interesting just talking to him on the phone because it's, it's a little bit different um just because obviously the face-to-face you can read facial expressions that's what i mean one of the reasons we you and i do this over facetime as opposed to over the phone is you can read facial expressions you can right get, and get it's fun because we don't get to yeah. see each other because we could do an audio only facetime it would probably save yeah. uh you know, broadband space, but yeah. it's more fun to say, Hey, how's the bedhead today? Or yeah. hold on. I'm not exactly. looking at you. Wait a second. There's a dog barking, you know, that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. So, I mean, or how often you... I touch my face while we FaceTime. Yeah. <laughs> my hands are clean yeah. and I haven't been outside for a while. Yeah. yeah. Well, and with Miro, the other thing too, that comes up just that, that's fascinating too, is there's things where you talk to him and and this has happened with a couple guys I've talked to on the phone since this whole quarantine started, but just even talking to Miro where you talk, you kind of talk about each other's lives a little bit after kind of the formal interview ends. Right. And it's not that he's, it's one of those things where it's not that he's uninterested, but he's just very matter of factual at everything. Like his day is, his day is, well, I, I don't really have a favorite food. I like, I like all foods. I like food. I'll eat it. I like food. And then I, I move like, on. 
I like food, I train, I hang out with the dogs, and I play video games with my friends. And even like when he plays video games with his friends, it's very matter of factual. We're playing the video games. I I, I did love the. I think that's that. more of a personality of his, isn't it? Yeah, it's his personality. Yeah. I did love the, I did love the quote in there from him where I was talking about playing NHL twenty. I guess would be the year with his friends. And I asked him if it was just about being in a video game, and he says, "Well, I guess I'm in there twice now since <laughs> I we play with our created players, and I also named him Miro Haitian. So <laughs> it's very very direct. All right, so. Yeah. Not that I don't love giving you all the shameless athletic plugs possible, okay. but um, we are running on a deep amount of time already because we spent uh, nine minutes or so talking about everything but our segment, which is okay. That's what the Quarkcast is all about. It's digressions and filling time that we all have. So the other night, speaking of time, I had a rough t- uh, time trying to fall asleep. And it was a couple nights ago. And I blame a few nights prior because the first couple of weeks of the quadcast with the kids in school and doing things, I was so busy, I didn't uh, set aside time to sit down and read. Now, um, that doesn't mean I wasn't reading. I was reading, you know, some articles in The Athletic or other publications, stuff on the news. But I I, I like to leisure read. Now, I'm not uh, opposed to nonfiction, and I read some of that. But one of my really favorite things to do is I like to read really good novels and... It's kind of like watching a movie, but more in-depth, and it's it's just another entertainment escape. I do a fair amount of that sort of leisure reading during the summer and the off-season. I did less of it last year because I picked up some FC Dallas work, and all of a sudden I was doing a lot of prep when otherwise mm-hmm. I'd probably not be doing anything. Long story longer, I had a book I was reading, and I was within, oh, 100 pages or so of ending and started... Uh, it was getting to the culmination of, of the story... And I was reading in bed, and I didn't want to put it down. And Nicole's already asleep, and so I just kept going. And I think I read till about three o'clock, and finished it. I was just one of those things where I, you know, I got done uh-huh. with the chapter. I'm just gonna plug on. Well, anyway, after doing that, settled in, went to bed. Next couple of nights, I was wired until two, three a.m. because I stayed up, and so. I couldn't get myself back on. We were talking about time zones earlier. Couldn't do it. So a couple nights ago, I could not, like, I was in bed, eyes closed, trying to settle in. Mine's just whirring. And nothing, it's not like I'm fretting over something. I'm just going, it's just active and busy. And when my mind starts going, it's hard hard to switch off and go to sleep. Now, it can turn on a dime and all of a sudden I'm out cold, but usually it doesn't happen that way. So, Sean, one of the things, and I'm going to challenge you here, is one of the things that randomly, and I can't give you the whole thought process, and even if I did, it would probably be too long. Okay. Is I started thinking or questioning in my head with no aids whatsoever, can I name all current 30 NHL, or 32 NHL general managers? I don't know okay. what I was thinking of. I think it was probably thinking of, Without actually studying them or intently saying, can I remember them all? I know them all. Well, in my head, and I use one visual aid, so you can call this up if you want. About halfway through the exercise, again, I'm just lying in bed, eyes closed, it's dark. I'm thinking about it. I said, let me look at the list of teams just to make sure I'm not missing somebody. Because I was trying to do it geographically east to west in my head. So if you'd yeah. like to call up the list of the 32, I'm going to include Seattle in this. 
NHL franchises. You may use that as an aid, but I was curious, off the top of your head, can you name all of them or most of them? And I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I got 30 and a half right. Or okay, sorry. So gonna, here's what I'm going to do. I'm opening the NHL yes. app on my phone. Yes. I'm just going to go to the standings page. That's exactly what I did. It was no, the quickest way. So I got I got one and a half wrong. Okay. So what I mean is, is when I seem wrong, I couldn't think of one. And as soon as I looked it up, I was kicking myself because I, I could picture his face, but couldn't think of his, his name. One of his draft picks came to mind, but I couldn't think of his name. And then the other one, I remembered his first name, but couldn't remember his last name. So I'm giving myself 30 and a half points out of that. Okay. All right. So I'm going to, I've got the NHL standings. You want to, you want to go by division? Um, sure. I'll go by division. Okay. Let's go by division. Okay, right. so, so I'm let's. Gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll start with the. Uh, I'll start out east. Okay. Feel free. So okay. <laughs> um, okay. And by Boston. the way, I I know them all, but I also called up the list just to make sure that I'm not botching it, even though I I know it. So. Okay. Honor system. Okay. Boston is uh, Don Sweeney. Yep. Tampa is. That's uh, Julian Brisebois, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Toronto, that is uh, obviously uh, Kyle Dubas. Yep. Florida, 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 Florida. Uh, Del Talon. Yeah, that one you had to think about for a second. Yeah. Uh, Mar- Montreal's easy. That's Mark Bergevin. The Gun Show. Yep. Uh, Buffalo, uh, Jason Botterill. Yep. Let's see. Uh, Ottawa, Pierre Dorian. He's in the news all the time right now. <laughs> it's That one was relatively easy because we've heard about it yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Detroit, Steve Eiserman. That yep. one's pretty easy too. Pretty ho- high profile since. All right. Um, let's go to the Metro then. Okay. Let's see. Washington. Um, uh, Greengrad, Brian McClellan. Ah, he got one. I, so I was sitting there going, Brian, who Brian, Brian, Brian. I could not come up in my head with McClellan. And it's probably because I don't have a alma mater connection with him. Keep moving. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Philadelphia. That's now Chuck Fletcher. Correct. Um, Pittsburgh is Jim Rutherford. When the Hockey Hall of Fame this year or last year? Uh last year I think wasn't it? Okay. Ooh, I, I don't know. Year. No, it was this year. It was this year. He was with Sergey. Was Spons, it was, was Zubov? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And Carbono. Uh, yeah, Carolina with uh, that's Don Waddell. 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 W A. Okay. Yeah. No, it's not Columbus. Tom Waddell. Yeah. Um, Columbus, uh, that's Yarmo Kakalainen. Yes, and you almost pronounced it right, too, so I'll give you credit for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> get to the New Yorks, that's Lou. Lou Lamorello, obviously. Uh, Jeff Gorton, not Gordon, Jeff Gorton. Yes, Gordon with a T. <laughs> and then uh, Tom Fitzgerald is the current GM of the Devils, but he's only been that post since, like, what, January? Because they, they had fired the GM. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember when they exactly got rid of Ray Shiro. Yeah. But, yeah. it's And actually, I think uh, as, as sort of his interim assistant tag or whatever he has, he's done fairly well. But, yeah, yeah I think the Devils are, not, a side note, huge disappointment for the offseason moves they made and then they, they regressed instead of improved. Yeah. All right, Vegas, that's Kelly Oh, so you're, you're jumping all the way to the Pacific there. I'm just going in order of the divisions. Like I went from the bottom, like so on bottom was Eastern Conference, Atlantic's on the bottom of the page, Metropolitan. Right. Okay. Then, okay. So I'm just going up in order. So I just Vegas, wanted to make sure our listeners yeah. could follow yes, along yes. at home. Yeah. Vegas is Kelly McCrimmon. Yep. 
Um, Edmonton is now Ken Holland. Still a bit weird to see. But, it is for a Detroit um, guy like you. Yeah. Calgary is uh, Brad Treliving. Tre- 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 how do you pronounce his? Tre- I think Tre- it's Tree Living, but yeah. Tree Living. I, either way, it's that's uh, Vancouver's Jim Benning. Um, Arizona's John Shakya. Chaka, I think. Chaka. Yep. And he's the other one I couldn't remember. I kept saying Jacob Chikrin in my head, who's one of their defensemen, and he drafted him. And I just could. I I had a picture. I know he's obviously one of the youngest GMs in the league. Although Kyle Dubas has helped with that, I could not. But he's he's younger than Dubas. Like, uh, and he's been around for a while too now. And he's the only NHL GM that I think is the same age as me. Because I'm, I'm, I think him and I are the exact same, or not the exact same, but like we're both thirty. So I think that's he's crazy. The only, Which means like, he's he was what was he twenty seven when he got the job or twenty eight? Yeah, these are twenty seven or twenty eight. Which is crazy. Um, so we're okay at Arizona. So uh, Anaheim, uh, that's Bob Murray. Yep. Um, L.A. That's Rob Blake, another Bowling Green connection. Oh, here we go. I'm I'm rolling my eyes at you through the car cast. <laughs> Uh, San Jose is Doug Wilson. He's been there forever. Forever. Alright. Then, let's see, next one. St. Louis. Obviously, that's Doug Armstrong. Um, Colorado, Joe Sackick. Dallas is Jim Nill. Um, Are you sure? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. (laughs) Yeah. Winnipeg is Kevin Cheveldayoff. Nashville is David Poyle. Minnesota is uh, Bill Guerin now. And Chicago is still Stan Bowman. <laughs> still. And the last one is not on the standings because they haven't officially oh, last, started yet is the yeah, new Seattle place uh, your name Ron, here. That's uh, Ronnie Francis. Or Ron Francis. Bravo, sir. Bravo. All 32 NHL franchises, including the one that doesn't have a roster yet. And the point of this whole thing is, is that we both basically have that. I mean, we have all the head coaches down, too. I was actually, I think I do remember the thought process. So I know um, a former Dallas star named Jamie Pusher. He played for, I think, San Jose for a while. He played a little bit in Dallas during the cup years and, or cup year, and so a couple other years. He is currently the assistant GM with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Well, I met okay. Jamie when he was out of hockey in 2010. He had stopped playing a couple years before and was living back in Glens Falls, New York. I was working for the Adirondack Phantoms at the time, the Philadelphia Flyers AHL franchise. And midway through that season, he approached me out of the blue and introduced himself and said, I'm kind of looking to get into broadcasting. I'd love to come do a few home games color commentary with you. And I was doing solo broadcasts anyway. I said, yeah, absolutely. So we did four or five or six. I can't remember the exact name of it. number of them was. Well, somehow recently it came up that he was... I didn't know that he was the assistant GM now with the Lightning, and or one of them. And it made me realize I can name all the GMs, or almost all of them, as it proved, and the coaches, but I don't know how... I would be terrible with assistant GMs, but I just was amazed at just following the league for our normal day-to-day jobs... I've rem- I've you know I remember all these guys. I think that's just I, and fans are like that too. Fans can name head coaches yeah. and GMs around the NHL and NBA, NFL. It's just interesting the information you retain without like I've never tried to study or memorize the executives in the league. 
I think it's interesting. One of the things that I think might play into this and why my brain works this way too, just knowing this. And there's some that don't apply. Like I with like I don't know what Tom Fitzgerald looks like, but. For example, every year, and this is something that's not going to happen this year because when and where we have a draft will probably be different, but every year the NHL, at the, they have the big GM yep. meetings. And how the GM, when the GM meetings end, basically during the NHL GM meetings, what happens? You have all the, the GMs in, uh, at the draft. You have them all meeting in one room, and you have all these media guys basically just uh, call, all kind of just mulling about hanging out in the lobby. We're all just... There's uh, Bob McKenzie and the TSN guys and the Sportsnet guys are both on opposite sides of the room. They have, have their setup and their backdrop, and and then everyone else is just kind of floating around. And then the GM doors open and they walk out, and then it basically turns into a mad dash of everyone trying to go track down 30 different GMs. I think because of that type of exercise, I, you kind of start to – you better be able to know who someone is. Right. Like, and, and so I think that's why it doesn't apply. Like there's certain – there's some teams I know who their assistant GMs are. There's some right. where I, like I don't like. For example, I know I know for Colorado, Craig Billington is the assistant GM in Colorado. Former goalie. Yeah, that's probably um, why. That and also he had such a just there was such an impact so long with San Antonio and Dallas playing right. each other and just and, and uh, but I, I think that's it's interesting how that I just also. Uh, no, no, side note, unplanned, since I had no idea this is a second. I'm wearing a Bowling Green shirt right now. Of course so, you are. So, so, of course you are. Bowling, Bowling Green Hockey has produced some NHL GMs. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but you, you kind of get this of who these guys look like, who they are, and the same thing goes for the coaches too. Where it's And, but, and then I think – I don't want to go through it now because it's not – but it will be fascinating to see how many teams you could name – a assistant coach or assistant GM from because I think yeah. it would be. Um, it's to, not thirty two. I'll tell you no, that. No, it's not thirty two. Um, as far as I was just thinking about this, and I, you have, you you have the list in front of you. Does it say how long they've been the GM? Yes, it actually. This is a Wikipedia list because it says tenured since. Okay, so I'm, am I going? I just wanted. Do I want to test. My, I want to test myself on a piece of trivia because I okay. know David Poyle. I know David Poyle's been there since '96 or '97. Whenever Nashville 90, first hired him, yes. So I, 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 I'm 99% sure he's the highest tenured person in the league as far as GM. If that's, it's if not that's, even close. But, but I, I, I always. But is am I right that Doug Wilson is second? Because I was trying to. Yes. I was trying to think of who else would be there. Can, can you name the third? So Doug Wilson uh, was May of 2003, so he's been there an awfully long time. Yeah. There are only two other Bob, general managers is besides, it, it, either, besides those Bob two Herman. that you mentioned. There's two other GMs that were hired in the aughts in, before 2010. Everybody else has been hired after 2010. It's, I mean, it's, it's either Bob Murray or Stan Bowman. It's, it's both of them. Who's so who was hired to, uh, one year um, earlier than the other? You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna. I'm flipping a coin in my head, and I'm gonna go with Mur- <laughs> Mur- I'm gonna go with Murray getting hired first. Correct. Just November really? okay. November two thousand eight, uh, November twelfth. Okay. If you're really specific, Stan Bowman was hired in mid July two thousand nine. Okay. Again, assuming that Wikipedia yep. is right, which I think this list is. Yeah. 
But that's it, it's amazing because obviously the tenures of general managers are much, much longer than head coaches. But yes. just like the head coaching ranks, there's a lot more guys that are hired in the last five years than there are in the last 15 years. And one thing that this actually, and I've actually had an NHL GM say this to me before. I've actually had a couple of NHL GMs say this before. This is this might be, and I'm not sure. So one reason we have in the NHL, and this actually kind of ties into this whole how will sports leagues be impacted by this global pandemic thing. Um, NBA in the NBA, general managers and coaches, they get they get to they get to exist through rebuilds. For example, the Dallas Mavericks won a title with a coach yes. who is who is still there. They sucked. They get to rebuild with him, and there's no issue of there's no worry of him getting fired. And now they're obviously on the upswing. Correct. In the, NH- in the NHL, that doesn't happen. In the NHL, you have to either and I mean the Ducks have had some lean years, but in general, you have to be you have to remain good to stay the GM as a team. Agreed. And and, and same thing with the coaches. There's a reason. So, but the, one of the main reasons the NHL has way more way way own much quicker trigger on firing GMs and coaches versus the NBA is the TV money because NHL owners making money is so much more dependent on getting the gates and getting to the playoffs. Correct. It's not that case in the NBA. So just kind of a, this is something where NHL, I've had a couple of NHL GMs even mention this to me in the past, where we, because of, you can't commit to a long rebuild in the NHL like you can in the NBA because an owner has to make money. And in the NBA, you can say, okay, well, we'll win in four years. Okay, I'm still going to make money. In the, <laughs> right. in, the, in the NHL, you can't do that. So just kind of a fun factoid thing that I've always found fascinating that I kind of really got came through my head the past couple of years of this is why you see the ax come down so quickly on NHL coaches and NBA coaches can be terrible and not lose their job. All right, last bit of trivia before we uh, break and okay. go to our next segment, which, by the way, we've blown well past the li- the boundaries we set up for ourselves, but they're merely guidelines anyway. Ron Francis does not have a single player on his roster yet with Seattle. Yeah. They don't even have a team name officially announced yet, although they may yeah. actually have it with yeah. they, without actually deciding that pandemic is the time to release it. There are three GMs that have shorter tenures than Ron Francis. Can you name them? Three GMs with shorter tenures than There are Ron three Francis. GMs who have been hired as their team's executive after Ron Francis. And Ron Francis was hired July 18th of 2019. <laughs> that well, it, just shows well, yeah. you the changes that have yeah. happened this year. Well, I mean, Fitzgerald's one with New Jersey. That's I know correct. That one. I know that one right off the top. He's the most recent in January. Um, was Ken Holland hired before or after Ron Francis? They're Just all hired before. In the year. It's, okay. a, it's a good guess, but he was hired in May. Oh, I think this is a trick question. It's not. No, no, but I think the timing of this is a trick question. I think, when do we count Kelly McCrimmon's promotion? That's part of it. That's a trick question, because Kelly McCrimmon, I believe they announced it at one point, and then they announced it at one point, and they announced it was going to happen, but it wasn't effective until some point where, uh, it wasn't effective until a couple months later. according to this uh, highly vetted Wikipedia list, September 1st, 2019, so you get credit for Kelly McCrimmon. He's after, there's one other one. After July 18th, 2019. Yes. Uh, Do you need a, cl- a hint? 
Oh no! This is this is the whole breakdown of Minnesota. Isn't That's it? This, right. This is the whole this is the whole Bill Guerin. This is not, not the Bill Guerin breakdown, but Bill Guerin getting the job after the. Uh, and it's interesting after. because it's rare that you see GMs hired at that time of year. Like a lot of of uh, April, May, July, little bit of June is common. How did okay? How did Minnesota? How did Minnesota let the how did they, how did you let a GM run the draft and free agency and sign a guy to a no movement clause for six years, uh, six years and then fire him? Like yeah. I, I that whole Minnesota thing debacle is crazy. It's, I mean, yeah, and, and it's the timing, right? Like so, Julian Breezebois took over Tampa at September eleventh, twenty eighteen. That was, was sort different. of it was a that succession was, plan though because yeah, they yeah. knew that Eisenman was leaving. It wasn't like they were caught, you know, yeah. with their pants down proverbially. Yeah. And Eiserman still had a role with them for that season, I believe. As sort of a yeah. liaison helper or whatever, right? Yeah. 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 Similar to, like, for example, at some point, I mean, similar to what's going to – like, I wonder I, – I've wondered this, too, about uh, a guy like Doug Armstrong. I wonder if at some point there will be a new GM for the St. Louis Blues. Um, oh, if he might become the John well, Davidson role, the president. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah exactly. Or yeah. – uh, George McPhee in, in Vegas. Yeah, exactly, he moved up exactly, so yeah. they could keep McCrimmon. Yeah, so I, I wonder if some point we see something like that with St. Louis. And that's just to pick someone who I've thought about before, of a guy who has been – Armstrong's been with St. Louis about a decade now. Exactly, and, actually. And, 2010. I'm pretty impressed with myself on this right now. You should um, be. <laughs> but enough of the patting Sean yeah. on the back. You're going to have to yell about Don LeShizen's statistical models at another time <laughs> because up next here on the Quarkast – we have a wheels-off Dallas Stars classic game to review. Pistol shots ring out in a barroom night Enter Betty Valentine from the upper hall She sees a bartender in a pool of blood Cries out, my God, they've killed them all Here comes the story of the All right, welcome back. You probably didn't go anywhere. It is a podcast after all, but the podcast. You're, you're not allowed to go anywhere anyway. <laughs> yes. I mean, maybe you pause for a chance to get off your exercise equipment that you were riding while you listened, or maybe you went to get a snack, or, you know, yeah. maybe if, there's some sort of multitasking that you're un- incapable of doing while you listen. If people are listening to this podcast while doing a workout, we're doing the world a favor since people must be getting in really good shape with two-hour workouts. Well, if they're <laughs> trying to work out the entire time we're doing the car cast, then we are making people healthier. Yes. And I encourage that. I yes. Speaking of digression here, Sean, because we have no uh, respect for guidelines of time whatsoever, right. I don't run with my phone. I have a... No, this isn't a humble brag. I use my Apple Watch uh, for tracking distance and time and all that heart rate and stuff. But I don't, I don't carry my phone when I run. I do see people running with their phones a lot. It's just, mm-hmm. it's pretty, it's heavy and bulky. They're big, um, yeah. so I cannot do that. And if I ride my bike, which is outdoors, I just don't think that's. 
very safe because you're you're with traffic. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to be able to hear what's going on around you and not ride your bike with earbuds in. So yeah, I do. I do run. With, I do when I do run. I run with my phone. I have, and it's not. Uh, I throw it up in the arm sleeve and everything. Yeah, so yeah. I think if I was doing something indoors, like on a treadmill or a stationary bike, then yeah. I would probably either have that or have something on television. But um, I've also I been do. the kind where I don't like trying, like I, I tried to read a book once when I was riding my bike indoors, of course. Yeah. And cause stationary bikes really boring to me. I can ride my outdoor bike for hours. Yeah. Uh, but I just found that the movement and I sweat a lot. So I was dripping on the book and, uh, it just it was hard to concentrate. But if I had a soccer game on or something, no problem. So if I'm gonna, so we we do I do have the bike. But if we're gonna, if I'm doing, I will sometimes read on the bike. Just like, like it's something I might even do today. But it's the type of thing where like yesterday I did a hard workout on the. Today I'm just gonna kind of sit there and absentmindedly spin my legs while reading. It's not it's not a, I can't do a hard workout yes. and read. So you're going to do what I called the Ron Francis and I bring it up because Ron was the, I don't know if he was, I think he might've been the assistant GM in Carolina by the time back in 2008, it was 0708 season, 2008 AHL playoffs. I was working for the Albany River Rats, my first AHL team, Carolina's affiliate. And we were playing the Philadelphia Phantoms. They were still playing out of the spectrum then. They hadn't moved to Glens Falls yet. And then, um, in the first round of the playoffs, and we were in Philly, and I went to the gym in the hotel in down, you know, Center City to work out. And Ron was on one of the was on a recumbent bike, which I've tried before, and I can't, I can't. Oh, the I, one where you're sitting back. The the it's like yeah. the you're sitting yeah. sitting back and your legs are up. The recumbent yeah. bikes are awful for me. But anyway. And he had a giant binder open, and it was the collective bargaining agreement. It was the CBA. It's obviously, it's part of his job. So he's writing that, flipping through it, and I talked to him for a minute. Ron is one of the nicest human beings on the planet, and it's really cool that a guy that has such incredible Hall of Fame numbers as a hockey player – I mean, a lot of hockey players are good people, but Ron is really a genuine uh, individual and um, – I, I like Ronnie a lot, but I, I'll never forget that image of he mu- I, he wasn't doing a very hard workout, but he had this gigantic legal yeah. text in front of him. And I go, oh, I, I, I think I said something to him of, oh, a little light reading or something. And he laughed. And Nothing is uh, – nothing's worse. So one of the weirdest things I've ever seen as far as work – because I've, like, I've interviewed athletes and talked to them while they're on the bike and stuff like that. But the weirdest one is so when I was still doing a bunch of freelance work and I was stringing for AP and covering Mavericks games, they, and Mavericks have since changed their locker room setup and you can't get back there anymore. But they used to have a setup where Mark Cuban would do his media availability while literally sweating on the media from his Stairmaster. So, <laughs> Mark, Cuban, so Mark Cuban would be on the Stairmaster doing a workout for like 20 minutes and he would take questions, and all the reporters would be holding their their, their recorders up and everything. And he's not, he's literally sweating, lording over people while he works out. I'm not making this up. That's a no. really weird dynamic. It is, and it's one of those things where I remember because we'd go, and it was just doing the AP stuff, and this was kind of at a time where Mark 
Cuban has always been very outspoken about his opinions and everything sure. like that. And and so it's the type of thing where with AP, I'm not technically, I'm not there to ask questions or really write anything. It's one of those things where we need to be there to monitor in case this is the moment he goes and says, I'm running for president, or he goes and rips somebody, or says, hey. Maybe, I'm, maybe he you know, tees off at the officials and all of a sudden exactly. the league is mad, and you have to be and, be aware of it all. So you have to be there and basically be there in the sweat zone. Obviously, something, something that, uh, from my understanding, it doesn't happen as much. It doesn't happen anymore since the Mavericks remodeled their locker room. However, um, and also probably something that would never happen again in the now post-pandemic world. But Probably not. Yes, but, much more aware of germs. But I guess to, to segue back, speaking of things that happened at the American Airlines Center. Yes, thank you. That weren't you for on treadmills. That weren't treadmills. <laughs> So this game. December uh, 8th, going... 2015. 15-16 yeah. season. Stars are a very good hockey team. Very good team. Um, and I think instead of, because inst- I don't want to go, I-, I think for today, instead of, because there's so many goals in this game, I don't want to go through, we don't really need to go through goal by goal. Okay. Um, I think we can just kind of do the, one of, I think the way we should look at this is just, there's some, to me, there's there's some, so much in this game. We could do an, an entire two-hour show and, and on so this I, game. And I don't want to do that. And so for me, okay. though, I just wanted I wanted to basically okay, set the scene real quick. Dallas and Carolina are playing. It's a game where essentially you have the Stars jump out to a – they do, not essentially. The Stars jump out to a 4 nothing lead in the first period. Yes. And – this is a, I think it was, it goes, I think it went Eve scores, uh, Jamie scores, yep. um, Oduya scores, and then I think Sagan has, Sagan scores on a beautiful pass oh, from John Klingberg. Gorgeous, yep. John Klingberg. And um, that first period, I think, just kind of, without breaking down how each goal were, if you want to go see the highlights, you can go Google it on YouTube or whatever. But that first period was kind of the quintessential of how good that 15-16 team was offensively. And one of my biggest takeaways, and this was kind of, I had two major takeaways from watching that first period. One, I had forgotten how good Jason Spezza was that year. Oh, he was, that like, was his best year as a Dallas star yeah, by far. Like, and it's something where, it's something where, it's not that I was saying, he. it's not that I had the point where I'm saying he's bad. Like, that's signing, but you watch that game and you're reminded of why, okay, this is this is what they signed. Well, they you signed. also are remembering in hindsight the last couple of years, the Ken Hitchcock year, where he clearly was out of favor with the head coach. Yes. And then the following year, the first year under Jim Montgomery, where they tried to resurrect it, and it just—I mean, look, there were moments for Spezza that year, but it wasn't what fifteen sixteen was the reason why Dallas signed him to that extension after trading him, trading for yeah. him. 15-16, the goal was to win the Stanley Cup in 15-16 yes. with Jason Spezza. And that's and that's watching that game as a reminder, and I think it's an important reminder to have when you look at how it ended and you look at things at the end, this is why it this is this is this is how you have to sometimes you have to bite the bullet. And this is something that may come into play with some current contracts. If at the end of Alexander Radulov's contract if he's having, I mean, this year was kind of a bit of a down year, but had some big goals and everything like that. But if at the end of Alexander Radulov's contract, he has an exit like Spezza, you have to remember those first couple of years, and this is why why you sign guys like that 
for those years, and they're not going to sign for something less anyway. It's not like a guy, unless you're going to go and completely blow your cap space and say, oh, here's a one-year deal for $18 million. But no one's going to do that. It's not going to happen. Agreed. So, so just kind of, that was the first big takeaway. And the other one that I think, um, and this is just kind of more from the first period, is um, not as much for Sagan. Sagan was moving a lot better, too. He was younger. This was pre-Achilles injury. But Jamie Benn, I mean, the oh. Real- like, what a was, difference. Yeah. I mean, you look, you watch that game side by side to this game, and whether you, you don't even need to look at production or anything like that, you just look at how he's skating, you look at the movement throughout, and you realize um, this is Jamie in his prime right there. That's this this was his, peak, because if yeah. you remember it, Jamie was coming off of winning the Art Ross Trophy the year before. <laughs> he was leading the NHL in goals. And by three, when he scored that goal in the first period, Sean, it was his 19th goal of the year, three more than Patrick Kane. Tyler Sagan was fourth in the league in goal scoring at that time. So the Stars had the top two goal or two of the top five goal scorers in the league. And then Spezza became one of later in the season, they, they hit three guys with 30 at the time. And I think they were the first team in the NHL that year to do that. But there was actually a play in the third period that really highlighted the skating. Jamie back-checked and caught a guy on a counterattack. There was a turnover in the Stars' offensive zone. Jamie Ben turned. And look, I'm not saying Jamie doesn't still have a burst in him, but this was not... I mean, again, it was five years ago, but it really stood out. He moves so well in this hockey game. And you can see Ben Sagan and Nachushkin, a pretty... Yeah high flying line because Val was really moving in that game too. Val and then like so Wade mentioned it was four nothing in the first period. It's then it's then five one after the second where uh Jacob Slavin scores. This is actually Jacob Slavin who's become a really good defender. I think he's a great player. Yeah. Became one of I think this was his first NHL goal. It was uh, and Val then scores with about thirty two, thirty three seconds left in the second on yep. a on a power move, splitting the D, going to the net one of those where it's like this is this is the guy who this is the first round pick that's going to be a long term guy here. It's exactly and, what I wrote down, Sean, after yeah. I watched that goal because he split two defensemen, scored. They reviewed it for uh, I think because a young referee screwed up and thought he waved the goal off, but then said, "Okay, we're going to look at it." There, it the review was way too long for a goal that was obviously good. Yeah. But I yeah. wrote that's what Val should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's well. That that that's the version of Val that when Yager said, "Oh, he's going to want to be one of the best players in the world." That's the version that they were envisioning. He's not the same stylistically as Denis Gurionov, but there are some elements to the, the pl- plays he made in that game that you, remind you of size, speed, and power. Mm-hmm. They're different players. Just because they're Russian doesn't mean they're the same. But there are certain elements of the way Nishushkin played in that one that reminded me of Denny's ability to be a game-breaker. Yeah, obviously different in kind of, I think it's there's yes. kind of a sliding scale where they both fall on. But, but boy, Val looks good yeah. in that, doesn't he? And this is coming yeah. off of his hip surgery year. Yeah. So it's Jamie's, not even the rookie Jamie's, year. It's also Jamie coming off hip surgery in this year. Yes. This too. Uh, so but, this, yeah, but this, was, this was a time where, obviously, it's not his rookie year. And obviously, the end numbers weren't as great for Val in this season as you would have liked. This is the... Um, but this was an example of what Val was when he was what they hoped he could be. So a couple of quick notes on the first period, and then we'll move on. Um, 
the Stars, for as good as they were, didn't have a lot of shots on goal because they scored most of their goals yep. on, in transition. Their transition game this whole season is unbelievable. They don't have controlled breakouts. Their, their wingers fly deep into the neutral zone. Defensemen like Jordy Ben or Patrick Nemeth or Johnny Oduya, all they have to do is throw it off the boards long, and they've got somebody streaking the other way. Yeah. And they're going two or three into the attack zone every time they transition. It's remarkable. But in this one, Sean, the Stars scored four. It was the first time they think they had had a multi-goal first period all season. They were good, but they had come off sort of a disappointing road trip. And Carolina could have scored three or four. Kari Lettinen, who was the starter in this one for Dallas, made a couple of really good saves. And Chris Versteeg missed a couple of what should have been pretty easy goals. So although it says 4-0 after the first, it could have been 4-2, 4-3. It was quite an entertaining opening frame. And that would be it for Cam Ward's night because the Carolina starter got replaced by Eddie Lack to start the second period. And I think the second period was really different because Dallas had the puck a decent amount of time in the first. Yeah. They didn't have the puck at all in the second period. Yeah. It was all Carolina, and the Stars started to get ground down. I think it kind of looked like Dallas went into prevent defense mode a little early. Not even prevent defense. I think it was a little bit kind of little bit of prevent because I don't think the stars ever really went into prevent under Lindy. It well, was not more, lockdown, that's for sure. No, it was more of I think I think it was more of the tank being kind of emptying the tank a little emotionally and kind of the sitting back of we're up four nothing. Yeah, yeah. Ease off, the right? They just eased. Yeah. They let off a it little. Was, it, it wasn't a defensive lock, like because like <laughs> no. Ken Hitchcock, no, 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 like Ken Hitchcock. Jim Montgomery, Rick Bonus's teams have the lead, and they would play to it. If, if they were staked a 4 nothing lead, if you gave those coaches a 4 nothing lead in the first period, you said, hey, here's a 4 nothing lead, they're going to play a style that's going to suffocate everything. This was a coasting, wasn't it? Yeah, this was a coasting. It wasn't a suffocation. And so um, it would, it's, it's four, it's, it's, Carolina scores the Slavin goal. Yep. The Val goal ends up being much bigger than we probably thought at the time because originally we would have thought, oh, well, 4-1 still probably safe going into the third period. He's going to be 5-1. It should be over. Five. By the way, Sean, I know we don't want to break down every goal, but the uh, Carolina goals, there's some very suspect coverage in some of these ones. The Slavin yeah. one, he beats the first four-checker, in this case, which was Cody Eakin. So the center is the, the lead man on the four-check. That wouldn't fly, I think, yeah. under the, the current system of Hitch Monty Bones would be a little different. But then as he comes in, Patrick Sharp is covering for him. And I love Sharpie, but he does not defend well here. He lets his man go. It forces Jordy Ben to shift and attack a puck carrier that leaves Slavin wide open. So he has he has a tap in because the Stars lost coverage because the forwards just kind of let the D have at it. Yeah. So yeah, let's go to the third period now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was uh, Carolina just explodes. I mean, you kind of saw Dallas Coast and Carolina pushing. Yes. And you thought and you thought maybe you're watching, oh, well, maybe the goal with 30 seconds left in the second period, maybe that kind of squashes things. Uh, it doesn't. <laughs> Carolina, <laughs> uh, Carolina scores three times in the first uh, in the first nine minutes yep. or so of the uh, of the third to make it. And that twice on the power play. What do you think and of that first goal? Because that was a bit of a controversial thing. And if it doesn't get allowed, they maybe don't have the comeback that they do. But 
Justin Fox scored on his own rebound on the power play two and a half minutes into the third period. Lindy Ruff challenges for goalie interference. Kari drifted on the first save. He came left to right and made yeah. this the first save, but he's flying out of the crease. It was a good save, but it was out of control. And then he's trying to get back into the crease, and he makes contact with Eric Stahl, who's standing right in the middle of Kari's goal crease. I don't know if, like, there's contact and he is interfering with Lettinen. I don't know if, if Eric Stahl wasn't there. I'm still not sure Kari gets back and makes the save on Justin Fox. I don't I don't think so either. And so uh, that's why, like, I think there is a, a legit amount of goalie interference, but I wonder if they allowed it because Kari's way out of, out of position. Yeah, I mean, he's, all, he's, he's going everywhere. Like, that's, I think that's kind of a little yeah. bit more of it. It's, he's going everywhere. He's out of control and... That's like, that's why you can't, you have, you can't prevent a goalie from playing his position. But Kari, as a goalie, you also can't live by a completely different set of rules yeah. and get get away with it. Um, so, um, but yeah, that's that, but that's kinda, that starts yeah, it, and then it starts. It. Phil Di Giuseppe scores. That was probably the least. Yeah. Uh, offensive goal against Kari because it was one where it was sort of a broken play and DiGiuseppe got it off his stick really quickly, kind of flubbed it, but it went off the post and in. Oh, well, it, it was his first NHL goal too. So you have two yeah. Carolina players scoring their first in their careers, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, yeah. And then the Stars almost scored on a power play where Klingberg flung, flung one from the point and Eves tipped it and hit the post. And then Dallas gets called for too many men on the ice on the power play line change. And that led to Justin Fox scoring again. And this time it was an absolute cannon. Yeah. And it's 5-4. And you could see, like you said, three goals in the first nine minutes. Yeah. The stars were starting to get nervous. You could sense the building too, couldn't you? So they get nervous. But here's the thing, actually, about this. And this is kind of goes to the classic. And I love Kari Lett and the human being. I do but too. This, but this was the classic example of big moment, big pressure, it takes about five or six minutes before the five-five goal happens, but that's a bad goal. That Skinner goal—that is well a... from the blue line. He crushed it, and it was good side-to-side movement, right? Um, yeah. They, the Hurricanes win the face-off. There, it was four-on-four four because the Stars took the penalty yeah. uh, on their power play, and then it becomes a power play. They win it back towards yeah. the wall, change the point of attack to the right point, and then Noah Hannafin fakes a, a play and, and then sets up Falk going back. So uh, Kari's kind of... I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that goal. Oh, I'm you're talking, talking about the Skinner one. I'm talking about the Skinner goal. Oh, I'm yes. Talking to, okay. Yes, I'm, I'm Sorry. talking about the Skinner goal, yeah. So, Skinner but goal here's the is... thing that's funny, Sean, because let's get to the Skinner goal. But before, I remember watching the broadcast, and a uh, quick shout-out, great to watch a game with Dave Strader calling play-by-play yep. again, and I wish he was still around. Not because I don't like Josh. I'm good friends with Mr. Bogorod, yep. of course, but... Um, but I miss, we all miss Dave, and it was really fun to hear him. Razor said something early in the third period before the 5-2 goal, because Kari made a couple of saves and said he looks supremely confident in his ability to track the puck and make saves. And knowing, of course, what, hearing him say that, knowing what was going to happen, at least generally, yeah, I knew that that comment was not going to hold up the entire third period. Yeah. No, I mean, that... that... <laughs> That fifth goal that ends that ends the, ends the night for Kari. Well, describe is, it. It's that, not good. No, it's, I mean it's Jeff Skinner's basically it throws a nothing, no angle shot near the end of a shift that just beats Kari short side. 
Like, it's it's bad. It's, it's really bad. So he kind of toe drags wide on Jordy Ben. But Jordy keeps his position well. And Skinner is outside of the left dot as he comes in. So it would be Kari's right. His stick side. So he shoots from just to the board side of the face-off dot. And beats Lettinen short side high. It's no, it, it's a goal that should never happen. It looks cool from the Skinner perspective, but from a Stars perspective, it's bad. Oh, it's a bad goal, yeah. And so that ends Lettinen's night. Thirteen and yet, minutes and seventeen seconds into the third period. So thirteen minutes, Carolina has erased a four-goal deficit. Yeah. So and that brings Antiniemi into the game, and then. By the way, I just want to point out at that moment. The shots on goal are 30 to 16 in favor of Carolina. The game is 5-5. There are yeah. 7 minutes and change, well, 6 minutes and change, 6:43 yeah. left in regulation. Mm-hmm. So that that wakes that goal and the goalie change or whatever whatever part it actually wakes <laughs> Dallas up. It wakes Dallas up. I mean, they start to have some good chances and then kind of the big crux that bring uh Victor Rask gets called for tripping with about a minute and a half left. I think it was eighteen twenty-six. It was a minute thirty-four left yeah. because Patrick Eves drew a tripping call, a legit one. Yeah. But this one looked like it was headed to overtime. No, and it's it's one of those calls too where it was a legit tripping call. Uh, I'm actually glad and high. Kudos to refs from five years ago for getting for for not swallowing their whistle because the game was close in the third period. Yes, so, which so. is one of my biggest complaints about yeah. officiating in the NHL. So this sets up obviously the not obviously it, because maybe other people don't know what happened, but this yes. sets up a power play. This sets up a power play and, <laughs> with, with uh, ninety seconds left. This sets up a power play with ninety seconds left, uh, and eventually with about nineteen seconds left in the game. Patrick Sharp scores to uh, to end the run for so Carolina. So here's the interesting part. Star's top power play then was Ben Sagan. I was about to say Radulov because it's uh, muscle memory now. Yeah. Um, but it was Ben and Sagan, Jason Spezza, John Klingberg, and Patrick Eves. He was the slot guy. But they made a line change. because the So the power play's out there for over a minute. And they had some movement and looks. They're working. I mean, it was a good power play. But then, late in the in the in the, I mean, like you said, uh, it was in the final thirty seconds. They swapped. I think it was Spezza, and they put Sharp up at the blue line with John Klingberg. Yeah. And Sharp scored on a, a they sort of did a give and go passing sequence, trying to open up space. And Sharp took a slap shot from just above the right circle, <laughs> and he beat Eddie Lack through the five hole along the ice. If he had lifted it at all, it would have hit the Carolina goalie's pads. Yeah. So it was just the perfect spot, wasn't it? It was. I mean, it was, it, it's kind of, it was kind of a, a show of what the sharp addition was for that team. As far as having that kind of ancillary piece that could score that guy who he, he didn't need the spotlight of, of Ben and Sagan or anything like that, but in a big moment, he could deliver. And Did you, you look- notice how fast he was, too, on a couple of instances? There was one in the third period. Yeah. I think it was after 5-5 where a puck gets thrown from the star zone, and it looked like it could have gone all the way for icing. And Sharp is five strides behind the defenseman and catches him in about two strides. 
and actually wins the puck before the Carolina blue liner even gets there. Yeah. He was, he, he was so fast. Oh yeah. He was so fast and he was someone who obviously his time in Dallas ended rather slowly because of injury and everything like that. Uh, it's something that's it's, – it's, you look back on this game. And actually before – real quick, Patrick Sharp scores. Antti Niemi gets the win. Antti Niemi <laughs> made, zero, made zero saves. Zero saves for Niemi. Um, in the, that's right. Carolina didn't have a shot the last six and a half minutes. Didn't have a shot. So I have a trivia question for you on this. How rare is that? I think it's very rare. So I, I have the numbers. So how okay. – like, it's it's if if you had a guess, how many times in NHL history do you think a goalie has had zero saves and won the game? I I'm sure we've discussed this five years ago, and I'm sure I don't remember it. So I'm gonna guess that it's like less than ten times. Okay, so the number seven. Yes. Here is here's some baffling numbers. Here's here are two crazy facts about those seven games. Okay. okay? One one goalie's done it twice. <laughs> Okay. That's Craig Billington. Oh, this is uh, going back to Colorado day. And so think about this, though. Both of those games were games started by Patrick Waugh. Billington came in, then exited. So Patrick Waugh's 551 career NHL wins could actually be at 553. (laughs) Because he had to leave for whatever reason. Yeah. Man. The The other fun fact about this. The stars of those seven times, the stars have done it twice. What's the other time? So back in uh, March 29th, 2013, stars are playing Minnesota. Kari's skate breaks. He leaves the game. Richard Bachman comes in. Jamie Benn scores the game-winning goal on the power play in the third period. Kari re-enters the game. Stops 33 shots, 33, 36 shots in a 4-3 win. The fourth goal was scored while Bachman was in when Jamie scored on the power play. Richard Bachman gets the win. Man, what a statistical anomaly. Yeah. Did you also notice the giant smile in the celebration at the end of the game from Kari as he comes up? You could sort of see the, I let up five and four in the third, but we won. Woo! Yeah. I don't think anyone was smiling more than he was in that moment. That was was a big relief. That was a relief smile. Oh, it's like interesting that at that point too, Sean. They were also touting the fact that both goalies had were they were the only team in the league that had two ten win uh, ten goalies with ten wins, double digits yeah. at the time. Because it was it was December, so it was still relatively early in the season. But just uh, for those that didn't see my tweet yesterday about it, think about this lineup. You have Ben Sagan and Nachushkin, and then they they flip flopped this a little bit, but they had. Um, Yanmark with Spezza and Hemsky at first, and then it looked like they moved uh, Eves around a little. But then I saw Eakin, Sharp, and Eves. Then they moved Eves and Hemsky. Um, but just amazing. Fiddler, Roussel, Sevier on the third, uh, fourth line. Fiddler in the middle of that. And then, Sean, I'll tell you what. This D group, not bad. Um, you have, of course, Goligoski and Klingberg, your top pair. And then you have Oduya and Jordy Ben as the second. And Nemeth Alexiak is the third. Joachim Paco was the scratch in this game. Jason Demers was hurt, so he wasn't playing. But yeah, I mean, I I just remember just how good Johnny Oduya was. He was so yeah. solid. It was such. It was a good team, and it's a team that you look back on it. And this is a segment for another day. Oh which yes. Maybe we, maybe we should tackle it another day. But this is a team where, if you look at, if they were able to get 
the goaltending in the playoffs, and if Tyler Sega doesn't have his Achilles in, Achilles injury and misses all but one playoff game. Well, and the one he played against Minnesota yeah, wasn't yeah, really even exactly. much anyway. So, but, so if, if yeah, but if you if it's it's the high quick hindsight, you you have a fair wonder wonderment in your head if if they if the goaltending was a little bit better, and you had Tyler Sagan, does this team is there a banner in the American Airlines Center for more than just a regular season Western Conference title? And it's it's a fair argument. I, I think, think they. I think if I mean I I don't want to disparage Letton and, and uh, Niemi too much. But if you put the current tandem of Bishop and Hudobin with that group, they won the Stanley Cup that year. Yeah, I mean, even I without that, Tyler Sagan being healthy for the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that's a conversation worth having for another segment for another day. But I think I think it's something that I want a point that's worth making and just kind of watching this game. You're looking at this team and saying this was a cup contender. This was a team that should have been playing into June. And by the way, I selfishly, I mean, we all wanted the Stars to win the cup that year because they were good. But I stylistically wanted them to win because leagues are copycat leagues. They tend to follow what the champion does. And the Stars played four guys on the rush, high-octane offense, defend at your own risk. You know, we're going offensively. And it... It's such a. It's. I know it's risky, and I know they had to win a lot of six-five games instead of three-two games or two-one. And I like the way the Stars are playing now, as far as being really solid defensively. But fifteen-sixteen was one of the most fun teams I've ever watched. Yeah, it was fun. It was exciting. I it want like- fun hockey, and they played fun hockey. Yeah. All right. Up next in the Quarcast, it's time to tackle the season-ending awards. Cause you're only a man And a man's got to learn to take it Try to believe Though the going gets rough That you gotta hang tough to make it History repeats itself Try and you succeed Never doubt that you're the one And you can have your dream You're the best around Nothing's gonna ever keep you down You're the best around Nothing's gonna ever keep you down You're the best Okay, our third segment of this episode of the Quarcast, which is, of course, we didn't do it in the open like I normally do, April 17th, 2020, and we are now officially in playoff mode, so to speak. Technically, we were last week as well, but... Sean, even if they restart the season at some point and finish regular season games, I'm not so sure that there's enough games left to make a significant impact in end-of-season award candidates. Now, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, there could be a couple if a team made the playoffs or didn't. You know, there are a couple bubble teams. But I thought this would be a good time for us to go through our big NHL award candidates and who we would vote for or nominate because it's something we did with the Dallas Stars intergalactic kegger with Brian and Sevi and Bruce and myself. And then I heard Razor and Heike doing this on their Rinky Dinking podcast. And so I said, you know what? I know that they've done it. And so we're sort of piggybacking, but it's not like everybody doesn't talk about this. So time for us to go through the awards. And of all of those people you mentioned, I'm the only one whose vote actually matters. <laughs> um, 
With the one exception because Razor as yeah, he does have a, a broadcaster Adams, gets to vote for the Jack Adams. Which I do, I do not get to vote for the Jack Adams. That's right. So, look, but you're right. Fun. Everybody else, nobody has a vote in the PHWA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go right with the heart because it's the MVP yeah. of the league. A lot of people say it's it's the biggest one. This one seems to be one where you can have a real legit debate. There's a couple that we'll go through later that we can kind of say, yep, it's this guy, and it's hard to argue that. <laughs> There's a battle. where I mean, I have four or five guys that I think legitimately could win it. Where do so, you come down on this? So to me, there's two – I'd say there's two people that legitimately can win it. There's one I would vote for, um, and then there's two another that I think could win it. Okay. If we if a certain scenario plays out, if the season returns. Okay. So we'll start off with the case where – okay, so Leon Dreisaitl, I believe, is the prohibited favorite right I, now. I agree with that. I don't I, – I wouldn't – I actually would not give him my first place vote. He has a 13-point lead over everybody else in the NHL as at the pause. And that's and that's fine, but to me, it's not a for talking most. And obviously, value. We're, are we talking best player? Right. Are we talking most valuable player. There's always a debate of that, right? Of which one are we talking about? Well, and I am. I will admit that the Hart Trophy should be the most valuable, not the best single player in the league. Yes, and so that's that, why they that's, have the Ted Lindsay. And that's how I look at it. And so, to me, the dry cycle is having a tremendous season. He's a great season. But it's hard for me to give my MVP vote to him when so much of his offense – and he did, he did do a lot by himself. But a lot of his offense is has been contingent on playing with Connor McDavid, too. Right. And and that is that is not a – that is not a knock against him. That's just a fact. And so – he, I think, will probably if the if there's a heart trophy given out, I think he will end up winning it. He's not going to be first on my ballot. For me, first on my ballot as of right now will be Nathan McKinnon. Uh, that is the one to me that is that would be number one on my ballot. The other one who is right up there, and, and this is going to be the fast the one I mentioned that would be fascinating if the season resumes. And say we either have a four or five regular season games, and and, uh, and other teams can get, or if we do a twenty fourteen playoffs, where all of a sudden, hey, there's twenty four teams in. I wonder if that gets our ten Panera enough votes to win it, because he, to me, he has been, he's been a, he's been driving everything for the Rangers. He's got them right on the cusp. Um, if if the Rangers are in the playoffs, it's because of Artemi Panarin. Yep. Um, to me, to me, for me, my one and two right now would probably be for my personal vote would probably be McKinnon and Panarin. And I knew Drysaitel is going to be on there, but I look at overall value what they brought to their two teams. It's those two for me. So, I the funny thing for me, Sean, is that I think this is the year Connor McDavid should win the MVP, the Hart Trophy, because there have been a couple years where he's been hands down the best player in the NHL and his team hasn't been very good and they haven't made the playoffs. And I think it's ironic that they're probably going to make the playoffs, the Oilers, finally this year, and he's not even going to be the highest scoring player on his team because yeah. of Dreisaitl. And so I think you can make a legit argument that with McDavid missing some games, you know, he's played 64 games this year, Dreisaitl's played 71. 
that shows that they've been able to keep getting performances done even without McDavid. Now, Connor McDavid is, is fantastic, but they've split them this year for a large portion of it. Not on the power play, but, you know, five on five, instead of having them all jammed up on one line, Dave Tippett has shown, I think, wisely that they might be better having generating their own lines and creating better matchups for them. So I think that although you say you don't want to vote for him, and I, I respect that, I think Dreisaitl deserves the accolades because he's been he's been really good. Now, but he's third. He's let me let me let me let me let me stand here. He's he's third on my ballot. Yes, he's third on my ballot. It it goes McKinnon, Panera, and Dreisaitl. Yes, my ballot right now. So the funny thing is that that this is the year McDavid should be winning the heart, and he's he's not going to, which is amazing because he's really good. David Pasternak has 48 goals. He It's just incredible uh, that he's been able to just rattle off that many points. He's third in the league in scoring, but... And he's he's really good. The problem is, Boston's a really good team. Yeah. And so, I look at the heart a little bit like I look at the Jack Adams, which is the Coach of the Year trophy, is that sometimes you need to give it to the best guy, even on the best team, because they've had just an incredible year. But a lot of times the the tease is pick it to the guy whose team has maybe overachieved a little bit more, um, and that's where Panarin comes into play. I I like the pick, but if they don't make the playoffs, well, that, it, what, then you can't give him the heart. So right now, Sean, to me, I I like I, I I'm torn. I'm I'm fifty fifty between Drysaddle McKinnon. If you had to. Like especially with Miko Rantanen being hurt, Landeskog being hurt, he you know yeah. McKinnon's been the one that's been that driving force. They've had intermittent goaltending. Franzuz has been actually better than expected with the injury uh, to Philip Grubauer, but Colorado doesn't get where they need to go without two things. One is their incredible play of their young defensemen, and I'm talking about um, not only Kale McCarr but also Ryan Graves, who's been excellent this year, and then of course McKinnon up front. So. I think I might get caught up in the beauty contest because Dreisaitl is so good, but mm-hmm. McKinnon, yeah, he's right there too. Yeah. All right, what's next? That's, but to me, the heart's one of the hardest ones to choose from. That's one of the hardest ones. The, yeah. Another one that's not easy is the Vezina. Because I dis- uh, disagree Because on this I think it's super easy if you have one choice in mind. Okay? One, one statistical thing. If the Vezina still has something to do with most games played being sort of that, you know, workhorse goaltender, then it's Connor Hellebuck running away with it. If not, then you have four guys that could very easily be candidates for it with a reduced workload, which are, of course, Darcy Kemper probably would have won it if he didn't get hurt this year. Tukarask, Anton Hudobin... And Jake Allen, surprisingly, has put up much better numbers than his counterpart in Jordan Bennington in St. Louis. All four of those guys could be legit 30 to 40 games played guys that you go, hey, I like where you're at. But to me, Hellebuck wins it in a landslide right now. It's not even close. Like, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to mention. It's nice that you mentioned some backup goalies, but that's what they are. Like, it's not. Which is interesting, not, but it, they're timeshare goalies. That's the look, problem. If, if you're a timeshare goalie. If you're a timeshare goalie, and if if the entire league went to timeshares, just hypothetically, yes. say all 31 teams were 40-40 just across the league, or everyone was 45-35, or everything like that, okay, fine. But when you still have certain guys that are starting goalies, 
and I'm not and I'm not the biggest guy to play sixty games. I'm, I'm like I fought for Ben Bishop to win the Vesna last year. Um, I thought he should have won it last year, and, and I thought he should have won it last year. So I'm not I'm not a big you have to play sixty games to win the Vesna. But Connor Hellebuck has been the best goalie in the NHL. He has been the most consistent goalie in the NHL, and really, he's someone else too. When we were talking about our heart votes, there, yes, he's someone who was close to being on my heart ballot. If you, if, if the Jets make the playoffs, well, the Jets have not been as good as we all thought they were going to be compared to the last year, last couple of years. And you want to talk about being valuable to his team? The fact that he has, because usually, Sean, mm-hmm. goaltending numbers are synonymous with how good your team are. Not saying goalies can't be great, but usually if you're good and your team is good, your numbers are better. They follow suit. Yeah. If you're a great goalie and you play on a bad team, it's hard to lead the league in, in goals against or save percentage. In this case, Hellebuck has been that good and his team has only been mediocre. Yeah, to me it's Hellebuck and a landslide. Okay, I, I'm in total right agreement. From, but I'm right saying if you were to reduce the criteria of... of how much time you spent in the net. And he's played so many more minutes than everybody else, really, other than maybe Vasilevsky, but his numbers are better. Then, like I said, if you get into the the timeshare, then it's a real battle. But that's for another day. Calder Trophy, the Rookie of the Year. Is it obvious? Um, It's, I think it was, to me... It's it's the guy who I thought it was from the start of the year, but the other guy made a push, and I'm talking about two defensemen in the Western Conference. Okay, that would and be I'm Quinn t- Hughes in in Vancouver and Kale McCarr in Colorado. And to me, it's McCarr. Um, it's and that and, and Hughes has been really good too. I could make a Hughes made a had made a later push really for it, but to me, it's still McCarr. And other than that, it's. I mean, I guess maybe the, the, to me the other one who I who, who probably will end up on my ballot is Mackenzie Blackwood, honestly. Really? Just as far as you look at what he's done. Uh, See, I have a different goalie in mind for okay, that. Okay, you got. Well, so there, you're missing one player who I think deserves to be in the conversation. I know he's older, but Dominic Kubalik has been incredible for Chicago this year. He not only leads all rookies with 30 goals. I mean, 30. He has t- 10 more than anybody else. Victor Olofsson... And of course, Dallas Stars' Dennis Gurionov have twenty. That they're tied for second in goals for rookies. But Kubalik, Sean, the amazing thing is that he's done it basically five on five because Kubalik only has four power play goals, so he has twenty six goals that are not on the power play. Mm-hmm. I think that's really impressive. Um, no, Kubalik, and Kubalik is definitely someone who would be probably we're, we're talking in that three four conversation that's what i'm yes yeah, yeah. he's not going to win it it's going to be mccarr or hughes i think yeah. i lean to mccarr because i've seen him play more than hughes yeah. i like hughes a lot i just think mccarr has been so so good the interesting yeah. part is that hughes actually is averaging almost a minute of time on ice more per game but they're both playing over 21 minutes which is incredible yeah the guy that sneaks into my ballot is Columbus goalie Elvis Merzlikens because after a really shaky start at the beginning of the season, which included getting sent down to the AHL, ever since basically Corpusalo got hurt in Columbus and Merzlikens became the guy again, he's been unbeatable. And he's, he's been really good. He's been incredible. I think yeah. he's the best uh, rookie goalie in the league. I can make the case for that. I, I think Blackwood's done a really good Blackwood's numbers are even more impressive to me on a team that is so bad. Really that, bad. Really that bad. That team is terrible. And to me, that's even more so of that. Um, but if you think about it, Sean, 
and we'll talk more about Columbus later when we talk Jack Adams, the fact that they're even in the equation, considering how many pieces they lost last year, is a testament to the players that are there, yep. the Merzlikens, and their coach, which we'll get into. Yep. All right, so we're going to go with Makar as a consensus on that one, I think. Yep. This is probably an easy one, is the Norris Trophy for best defenseman in the league. Um, Should be easy. I, I think it's John Carlson running away with it. Um, I disagree, actually. I don't think John Carlson is the best defenseman in the league, but I think he's doing what we said John Klingberg needed to do to ever win a Norris, which is to wire-to-wire lead an offense. I think John Carlson's going to be the Norris winner, but he's not the one I would vote for. So, I think we would both vote for Roman Yossi, correct? Um, uh, no, I'm close on him. He's been really good, but to me, Victor Hedman is still the best defenseman in the league. Because to me, it's far away Roman Yossi's the best defenseman in the NHL season. Okay. Uh, I th- he is the... He is, to me, he's been by far the best defenseman in the NHL. He has been the driver of that team completely. He's been good in all three zones. Uh, he plays a ton. Almost 26 ton. minutes a night. Yeah, he, to me, he is the to me he is the winner in that category far and away. Okay. Uh, I, I, I like Hedman a lot. The other thing that's fascinating, too, just to kind of give you an idea of, you said Carlson's going to win it, and that's, 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 that's a fine thought. However, just to kind of give you an idea, um, we did. Let me let me see if I can find this. So we did a the athletic did a we did we the athletic did a vote of, of their beat writers, and we had we had forty one writers, forty one writers vote okay. for awards. Okay, and Roman Yossi got sixty one one with sixty five percent of the vote. Well, that's surprising to me, Sean, just because I assumed that being in Washington, D.C. and being on TV all the time, that because more of the voters see John Carlson and he's been incredible offensively all year. Look, I, I mean, look, John Carlson's had a great season. He's a good defenseman. He's leading the field by 10 points over anybody else and 20 over anybody not named Rose, Roman Yossi, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason why I think he's going to win is because I think of the eyeballs. But the fact that you're seeing that suggests... I mean, look, I'm not trying to diminish Roman Yossi. I think he's a really, really, really good player. But I think right now, if you were to say you get to pick one defenseman from the NHL to build a team around right now for this season, not for the future, but right now, it's Victor Hedman. Oh, that's what Miro Haitian said, too. Yeah. I'm picking Roman Yossi still. Like, By the way, that... stick tap to Tony D'Angelo in New York with the Rangers. He's had an incredible breakout season. He's been good. He's been really good. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I love Hedman's game. I think he's great. But I think, to me, this is he, Hedman's on such a better team too. Fair. Um, like Yossi, to me, it's I, I don't see how it's anyone other than Yossi. I see how Carlson may win it because of the point totals. But I think. To me, Yossi's going to be first on my ballot. I don't see any other way around that. And the question becomes whether it's Hedman or Carlson second on my ballot. And it's probably going to be Hedman second on my ballot. So So let's move on to the Jack Adams, which is the only one the broadcasters get to vote for. Um, And they will pick the coach of the year. We were talking about this earlier, and Sean, there's trends here because a lot of people look for, and including myself, look for the guy who 
has turned his team around the most. You know, the biggest change in, in fortunes. Because, you know, lots of good coaches out there can stay the course. And um, I do think it's fair to bring up teams that are just great. You know, Craig Berube's yeah, team in, in St. Louis is great right yeah. now. Uh, Bruce Cassidy in Boston, great. And maybe if you're that good, and Boston's really good, you should deserve some credit for that. But to me, I have three or four names of guys that have really had to have turnarounds that really stand out to me. And I have to say, uh, I mentioned Columbus earlier. John Tortorella is on that list because he lost his starting goalie. He lost his best player in Artemi Panarin. They traded a bunch of guys. They went all in. They lost some guys. And, you know, they were still, they're still hanging in there. They had some massive injuries to deal with, but I think he's done an incredible job. But my list includes Alain Vigneault in Philadelphia. What a turnaround he's had with the Flyers. Nobody would want to play the Flyers right now in the playoffs in the East. Um, and then this is a, I know this is obscure because they're so good. John Cooper with the Tampa Bay Lightning because they had such a, an incredible collapse in the playoffs in the first round to Columbus, of course. Then. They got off to a eh, iffy start, and they weren't very good. And now they've been one of the best teams in hockey for a while. So I, I think navigating all that has been a real good sign for Cooper. But the guy who I would vote for, Sean, is Dave Tippett. Because so many guys have tried and failed to get the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs, and Tippett's going to do it. No, that's not a bad one. For me, my list, I, I had five coaches that I kind of put on this list. And Cooper was, I'll say Cooper was sixth. So okay. I had five. So I had five coaches on my list. I had Vino, I had Tortorella. I think Mike Sullivan's done a tremendous job with all the injuries. Yes, in that's fair. Uh, yep. I think I think he's done a tremendous job with all the injuries in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think Tippett. I, I definitely think Tippett should be on there. And then the other one, and I'm not sure whether it's and maybe I'm over maybe I'm overreacting to one instance, but I give Rod Brendamore a ton of credit yes. for what he's done with Carolina and. And to me, kind of one of the one of the great moments in coaching, I think, if, and if it's the moment where if he wins, if he was to win the Jack Adams, this was the moment where he would use as an example of why that's a Jack Adams winner. When they win with an emergency backup, it's not just the it's not just the motivational post game speech. It's the he got the guys to buy. He he take a t- he took a team in mid game, took a team mid game that is pretty high flying. Is like, hey, we're gonna lock down. We're not gonna let Toronto get any any real chances. Right. And they adjusted. And to me, that's kind of one of those moments where that, for me, was kind of one of the eye-opening moments. Like, maybe we should be giving Brendan Moore some some love in this category. I don't think to me he's not. To, to me, Tortorella is one. I've got Tortorella is one. I've got I've got Buffino uh, and Sullivan kind of jockeying for two, three. But that's kind of where I think he ends up on the list of five for me. Okay, Masterton. Is this even a dis- a discussion? No, this one's Stephen Johns. Stephen right? Johns. I mean, what a story. Hopefully it's – I mean, will he win it? I don't know because I don't know if enough people – I mean, it's interesting. One thing that I think for Stephen the, – the, the thing Stephen Johns is missing to win the Masterton because the Masterton is very much a perception award, right? So one of the things that Stephen Johns is missing to win the award is – and this is, this is no fault of his own. This is – I give him full privacy to – 
he has not given his full story. That's right. The, the fact Stephen Johns, the fact we don't have the, and this is Stephen's choice. Stephen doesn't want to talk about this right now. The fact Stephen hasn't gone out and laid out, hey, this is what I went through. This is what it was like on the daily basis. These are the struggles. The fact he hasn't laid it out and told that story, it means the story is kind of played under the radar more than it should have. Right. Um, and so for that reason, he may not win it. Uh, and for that, and I mean, Connor McDavid may win it just for the fact that there is a whole NBC pro about his rehab from, from an injury. So, I mean, uh, Stephen Johns should he should be the runaway winner in this, but will he or not? I'm not as as hopeful just because of that. So, I I really hope that it won't be Connor McDavid uh, because this is so much harder than just coming back from a knee injury. But you're right, notoriety could be an issue there. Um, the last one on my list is the Selkie Trophy, and I when we did this for the Kegger, we didn't pick a Selkie, so I need to think about it for a second. So Sean, you go first. Um, I mean, to me, it's, there's, I really, to me, it's one of two guys. It's either, uh, it's either Sean Couturier in Philly, who's done, who's been really good this year. Um, I think he's someone who definitely, uh, he's someone who I think is, he's someone who I think is, who, he's been a key cog for the Philly, uh, the turnaround and just what he, Matches up with the best guys every night, things like that. And then Mark Stone in Vegas. Mark Stone is, Mark Stone is, hasn't won it yet, um, but he's someone who, I think, just kind of you think of the legacy of that trophy and Gary Lettinen being the last winner to win it and everything like that. To me, Stone is a player who I think it, it's those two guys for me. Um, I think you could make a case for Anthony Sorelli probably in Tampa. Um, I know Patrice Bergeron gets votes every year, and he's obviously tremendous at what he does, but I also wonder if he is actually as good or if it's just become more of a reputation thing. And that's not to – if he, it's, but those are kind of the names that pop into mind for me. The other one that stands out, and I hate to do it because of the division rivalry, is Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. And O'Reilly, I think, I think O'Reilly's, O'Reilly is great, but I think – um, to me, I think we put too much value voting for O'Reilly is too much of a value just on faceoffs because I think so much we put so much on faceoffs a lot of the times in the awards like oh well look sure. this guy's won this this percentage of faceoffs and this and that and O'Reilly is tremendous on faceoffs and I don't think just being a great defensive faceoff guy wins you wins you the award. No, it's got to um, be shut down. It's got to be shut down. And he's good, but to me the other guys. Have, a higher level this season from my vantage point. Yeah, I mean, I I know you've been a big Mark Stone fan for a while. I also like him in that regard. I was just looking to see because one of the things that Roddick Foxa has against him is he doesn't score enough points to get the offensive component of voters because I think Fox is one of the better shutdown guys. I think Jason Dickinson is actually an excellent defensive forward that could be one of those guys that can shut down another team's top line but That'd be really Selkie, good, but you've got to be able to score as well. Yeah, because the Selkie is not. I mean, but it, what it's become is it's not the best defensive forward. It's the best two-way forward. That's right. Forward. That's what it is. And, and so not, I'm just looking ahead of Mark Stone, who's currently at 27th in the league in scoring with 63 points, tied with Patrick Line and uh, Tevo Teravainen. So who fits the bill ahead of it? I mean, would you give Blake Wheeler any credit because he's slightly ahead of him, or? You know, Max, Max Pacioretty's been pretty darn good this year. Yeah. His Vegas teammate, he only has a few points more than him. 
I just, I mean, even a guy in, in Winnipeg like Mark Shifley has 10 more points than Stone does. Is Shifley in the same class? Uh, I just don't yeah, know. I mean, you can you can make a case for it, but I don't think so. I, I, honestly, Sean, one of the funny ones is Brad Marchand, or Marchand, excuse me, has 87 points. He's sixth in the league in scoring, and I'm telling you what, he's not just floating around the offensive zone. No, he's not. So but, but he's I, not I'm I'm not as so I'm not as sold on one guy with the Selkie right now as of any of the categories we've talked to. That's the one I have the hardest time with. Yeah, the other thing that's um, with the Stars, and it's not going to happen. No one from the Stars is going to win the award, but it's interesting just because of perception and time on ice and everything like that. Tyler Sagan has a better chance of winning Selkie in his career than Radic Fox. Yes, just to be just just to be frank, and I'm not saying Tyler Sagan will win a Selkie, but. There is the narrative, there is the name power, there are the points. Tyler Sagan, at some point in his career, people could say, oh, you know what, he's turned into a Selkie candidate when, and, and well, Radic Fox had really no chance to ever win the award. Agreed. And you know what's funny, Sean, is that if any of the Dallas Stars right now to win an, an award, uh, the one that doesn't exist, the Selkie for defenseman, because of his penalty kill numbers alone, should be Essa Lindell. Well, he doesn't, you know, he can't win the Selkie. He's a defenseman. Well, the, you weren't listening. I said the Selkie for a defenseman. It's a fi- fictitious oh, award. Oh, okay. Got you, got you, got you. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. That's okay. You. It's just our yeah. podcast. You don't have to listen to me. No, I just misheard you. I know, but that's what I mean. It's like if you had a defensive defenseman award, Lindell's time on the PK alone could be one of those where you go, I mean, he stands out. His numbers are incredible. Yeah, I don't remember the name of the award. The PHWA at the midseason awards do a defensive defenseman award. I can't remember what they named it after, but just to uh, let everybody know, Essa averages three forty-eight time on ice per game, shorthanded right now, which is number one in the NHL. And for, this is the average, right? So Danny DeKaiser is second at three thirty-one. So that's almost twenty seconds in average in total time on ice, as in you know. Most he's spent this year. He's been sh- yep. on the ice shorthanded almost 30 total minutes more than anybody else in the league. 262 yep. minutes and four seconds so far. I mean, the guy just plays in, but he also gets power play time and plays a ton of even strength. That's why, I mean, I just think Essa, uh, he would be that guy for me if they had such an award, but they don't. Yeah. All right. Fun categories to talk about, but up next, it's time for us to hit the lightning round. Time to wrap up episode four of the Quarcast with the lightning round. Sean, let's get it going. Yeah, we're going to do this one quick because we have places to be. Well, not places to be. I have phone calls to make. Things to do, <laughs> not places to, to be. Do. All right. To, uh, Actually, I do have to mask up and go to the grocery store today, so it's going to be a long one. Gotcha. All right. So, Christ- Christopher, 
start actually two days before you even ask for questions. So credit to Christopher for thinking ahead. Said, so what are the odds of a Pavelski buyout? Two years remaining, but there's no way you can tell me that that top six in Dallas isn't wrought with players in decline. Needs a refresh, perhaps internally or via trade. Um, we actually touched on this a little bit last week. There's, they're not buying out Joe Pavelski. Not buyout. a chance. Uh, it's just to be frank. The question was, what are the odds? It's just not happening. Like it's. Uh, um, nope. In fact, one of the reasons why they did their contract the way they did was so he they didn't have to protect him for the expansion draft after next year. But no, I think yeah. Pavelski's gotten better and better as the season's been on. We've started to see more of why. I mean, we we've seen the off ice stuff a lot, but it's the it, the on ice has gotten better. I don't think there's any reason they would even consider it right now. And it doesn't matter, even matter, I can just tell you, because there is zero chance of it happening. Yes, agreed. <laughs> so, okay. um, next one was, did the Boston Press slander a 19-year-old saying before his trade? 91 was on bad radio today, and found his, I found his perspective positive, uplifting, very down-to-earth. He seems to have adopted Dallas as home. Will he return to a 40-goal scorer form? Well, that's two very different questions. Second part, question part of question two. I don't think he will ever score 40 goals again. I think those days are beyond him. I think that's just a fact aging in the NHL. Um, the first one, it's not the Boston press. It was the Bruins themselves. Um, that's right. Everyone, I mean, the Bruins, when they trade, the Bruins have a wonderful behind-the-scenes access TV show called Behind the Beat. And when they were talking about trading Tyler Sagan, um, when they were talking about trading Tyler Sagan, there is a video, a video from the from the uh, from the meetings where their questions literally ask, "He's a good player, but does he fit our culture?" And really, while there's some things that have been written by the media of saying, "Oh, well, he's he was immature" or something like that, those things. But really, the driving factor in the Sagan narrative is the team. The team basically scuttled his name in that, where it's, "Does he fit our culture? Does he fit our?" Does he fit the Bruins culture? And well, it was it was also it was it was attitude and, and personality, and also can he play defense and is he soft? That was those were concerns from them, and they released him. So if they were smart and didn't want to share, I mean, I look, I love that we saw that, not because of the message. I just the behind the scenes stuff is fascinating. Yes, that's that's what I love. The fact that it, it came out like that against Sagan, obviously. I think they made a mistake, <laughs> but um, but I, I want that access. But yeah, I mean, no, look, the thing is, is that even if you didn't hear the stuff from the Bruins executives at the time in the hockey ops department, if you did an interview with Tyler Sagan when he was 19 years old, and now you're going to hear a completely different person, not because... Uh, yeah because of the difference in the scenery, it's just simply because Tyler Sagan is a veteran of the NHL for a decade now. I just watched the other day, NBC had the uh, Game 7 of the 2011 Stanley Cup Final, Bruins and Canucks, and he was a rookie in that game. And now we're talking about 10th season, and you know he's not the kid, the flashy rookie anymore. He's the guy that's been a superstar for a decade yeah, I mean, in the version you heard of Sagan on the radio the other day, that you wouldn't have heard that version of him as a 19-year-old. No. So the other, the other thing is, as people in general, everyone matured, not, I mean, mostly, but most people mature from 19, from, from 19. Yes, that's oh, my whole point, is yeah. a decade so. of, of experience and life should sound different. If you heard me 
10 years ago, I would hope I sound better and more mature now than I did then. Yeah. All right. Christian, question from Christian Romero. Apart from this year's Winter Classic, what is the best NHL game that you've ever been to? And it was a two-part question. What is the favorite part of your job? Um, best NHL game I've ever been to. There's a bunch. There's a lot. I mean, um... I feel like I have to spend too much time thinking about this, which is not yeah. good for um, no, a radio is, this, segment. At no, least, it, and this is not, not this isn't good for a lightning round. Um, I guess one fun. of the one of the best games I think because the feeling afterward was the Klingberg overtime winner against uh, Nashville last year. That was pretty fun, um, just because it was you get to see the handshake line in person. It's something that Dallas had not seen since two thousand eight. Yeah. So uh, that's, again, that's off the cuff. I mean, one of the best games is the Radulov hat trick turnaround 6 3 win. They're down 3 to nothing. I mean, the, the, the yin and yang or the disparity from, oh my God, this team is going to implode to they might have just saved their season. That was a pretty remarkable game. Yeah, I mean, that that's, that's up there as far as great games. Um, I'm thinking about even the. Uh, like even the, even I mean, the 6-5 Carolina game was pretty like, exciting. Like, I, I know Stars fans didn't like the result from just a hockey perspective. I loved the St. Louis-Dallas Game 7. Why? From a hockey perspective. I, I, I loved watching the, just as someone who I loved the goaltending aspect of it. I loved the, the double overtime of it. I mean, season on the line and just being, I mean, it, I know people may not like the results, but I loved that game. Yeah. That was a... So, one uh, of my favorite games, it's not NHL, but one of my all-time favorite games, and you were there too, was Game 7 of the 2014 Western Conference Final, Texas Stars-Toronto Marlins. And yeah. it was kind of a little bit, Sean, like the Radulov game in October against Minnesota because it was Game 7, except for it was in the playoffs. And the Stars fell behind at home. Christopher Nilstorp made a save that I still can't believe he made to keep it from being 3 nothing, which I think would have ended the game. And then the Stars rattled rall- 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 off six unanswered goals and won six to two, which in a game it really felt like they were going to lose for 30 minutes or so. Yeah. All right, let's go to the next one. Next one we've got from Hannah. I was actually going to ask this before Sean's survey. Do you think the next captain is currently on the roster, and if so, who? So, um... I obviously this part part of the survey is going to come out tomorrow, uh, but I guess I'll I'll, so I'll pose the question to you that way, Ode. Okay. Do you think the next captain of the Stars is on the roster currently, and if so, who? Yes, but here's the thing: is that Jamie Ben and his contract is long enough that I think that he continues to be the captain, even if in the next couple of years he's not on the first line. Oh, I don't think they. I don't think they ever take the captaincy away from him. I don't think. I think Jamie Ben is the captain until the last game in Dallas. I think, yeah. I think. I think the franchise. I think. I think franchises. That's I a hard question they, because I don't know when that end point for him with Dallas is going to be. I think it's going to be the end of the deal. I think it's going to be twenty twenty five. Okay, so if that's the case, I mean, you're talking about six seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Does that then mean? You know, I guess the, the I guess maybe Hannah's thinking is you know a guy like Ty Delandre keeps they keep talking about it. Um, 
could he be captain material? We don't even know what he's going to look like as an NHLer yet. So I thought the tie doesn't right. No, I know, but he's not on the current roster. So current roster. I mean, I guess I have a different thought of if I was to name another captain and not be Jamie Ben on the current roster, who would I be? Or do I think someone that's that's not the question? Right. I don't know if I have an answer for is the next one on the roster. I'm not sure it is because. Jamie Ben's going to be here for a while. So I think, I, I look at it this way, where I think that Tyler Sagan is the next captain of the Stars, because I think his, I think it's going to be, I don't think he's going to be a long-term captain of the Stars, because he, his deal goes, what, two years longer than Jamie's right now? Is it, yeah, is it one or two? What, either way, whatever it is, I think you're, you're going to have a situation where when Jamie's contract does expire and he's no longer a part of the Dallas Stars, I think then Tyler Sagan will be the captain for a couple of years. And, um, and then after that, you'll see where it goes from there. Um, I know some people have mentioned Miro Heiskanen as a possible captain. I just don't think that fits what Miro wants to be. No. Just frankly, like, um, I don't think, I don't think Miro wants that. I could see it happen from a pure, you're the best player. We're going to give you the, the job role because that's what happens with captaincies a lot now, but I just don't see that fit. So to me, I actually feel rather confident Tyler Sagan is the next captain of the stars. I don't think he's a long-term captain. You know, think- you know who I think could, could be if of the current roster, I, I, would lo- I could see a guy like Jason Dickinson's personality. I don't know if he's there in five years. Well, so Jamie, Jamie Ben has five more years on his contract after this year. But, but Tyler Sagan has seven, so two years longer. I think Sagan, I, I like your answer with Sagan. I think he could be the captain. But if it wasn't him, I think it might be Essel Lindell. It could be, but here's the other issue too. Just the other issue, and I think Essel will still be here at that point too. Well, five but, years from now, he'll be 30. Yes, but the other issue is how with how often rosters change. Like some people say, oh, it could be right. Jason Dickinson. Jason Dickinson could be gone in three years. He could have a really good Agreed. Jamie will still be here. And so for me, that's why Tyler is the safe one to go with. Okay. Plus, I think, plus, I mean, marketing will love to sell some Tyler Sagan captaincy jerseys in five years. I, I think Tyler, if Jamie wasn't around, which he is, but Tyler could yeah. be the captain right now. But I think Jamie's better than we realize. And we've talked about it before, the difference between what how we see in, in media scrums and what we see on the ice or in the locker room are two very different people. Correct. Um, um, let's go to the next one. So Raphael asks, are there are there really plans to finish the NHL season in North Dakota, or is it just a groundless rumor? Um, the answer is no to both. Right now there yes. are no plans for anything, but it's also not a groundless rumor. It is something that there have been discussions about. I think it's Ralph Engelstead Arena. Is that the name of it? Um, is uh, it? I, I'm not familiar it, with the name of the, I, I, of the one in, in North I, Dakota. Where North Dakota plays. So there have been discussions about that. There's been discussions today. It was reported where Manchester, New Hampshire has had discussions with Gary Batman about hosting NHL games. Yes, there. which I but look, well. and good for Manchester. I've done tons of games there when they were the Monarchs. It's a nice rink. It's a really good AHL facility. Unfortunately, they lost their AHL team when LA moved their team out west with like the rest of the the Pacific Division that, or the the California Division of the AHL teams, plus the one in Tucson. But um, you know, look, if you have an empty building, if you're Kansas City, you should be saying, "Hey, we've got a, a facility here." If you're, you know, that that's good economic sense. I don't know if that means that the NHL is going to do that. I think it's something that may happen because I think the NHL is going to be at a point where there's going to be, can we get this done? Can we make this a TV product? But we'll see. Yeah. Um, so Ardell. Um, 
asks, can a euro like Hayushkin become a marketable commodity beyond the DFW market? Um, and then he also asks, no gym access to stuff. My family and I have been making do with limited apparatus at home along with help from YouTube. Do you guys work out or have any home gym setup? We kind of touched on working out earlier. I like to ride the bike and run quite a bit. I've seen your garage setup. Um, yes, I actually have some weights in the garage with, uh, yeah. you know, Olympic bar, some, uh, you know, plates, a few free weights. I need to get it back. To, I've been off of the lifting for a bit, so I need. I've been doing a ton of running, and um, I was playing a lot of soccer, hockey, and tennis before the pause. Now I'm doing none of those things except for running and riding my bike, which is still fun. But I always liked Sean to stay in shape so I can play recreational sports. Now I'm just staying in shape, which is fine. Um, yeah. I'm not packing on the COVID nineteen pounds like they joke on the ticket, though. Yeah, and uh, the other question was about Miro. Can Miro become a marketable commodity beyond the DFW market? Um, the problem is, and it's just Miro's personality, I don't think he can even be a marketable commodity in DFW, just to be frank. Like, I think he can be the player, if you're a hockey fan and a Stars fan, he's a guy you want his jersey and everything like that, but Miro's not doing commercials. He's Do you no think it's like Zubov effect a little bit? Um, I think Zubov outwardly didn't want to talk to anyone and, and really wanted to avoid all communication. And Miro, I think, is like that, but not as bad. Sure. Uh, like, I, I have a hard time getting Zubov on the phone. I can get Miro on the phone. Right. Uh, um, so I think it's more of a thing where because of the role he plays and for someone to really be a super – to be a major commodity in the DFW market beyond the hockey market – I think you need to do, you need to have you need to a kind of speak eloquently in English and have that personality like Tyler Sagan does, yep. or you need to put up a ton of points. And just frankly, while Miro is great and we see it every night, it's not like it's not like he has where where Luka Doncic is scoring thirty five points a night. He doesn't have that type of no. cachet. So this is an interesting one, Sean. Corey writes in. Um, if owners bring back compliance buyouts, who would likely be a candidate for the on the stars to receive one? And then he put in question marks Ben or Pavelski. That's interesting. Um, well, it would probably be Ben, frankly. Well, like, yeah, if, I mean Joe Pavelski, they're not going to buy. We already talked about that. No, no, but if we're talking about a compliance buyout yeah. where it's not against the cap, I mean, if you're talking about one guy where you could you could wash your hands his- of a contract. Yeah, I mean, that's Jamie Ben would be the candidate. Um, it's something I don't think they do it, but it's definitely he, he'd be the candidate. Imagine, the candidate. imagine that drama if that happened. Yeah. yeah. As a reporter, uh, that would be another interesting episode for you to cover. That would be that would be a fascinating, fascinating turn of events. All right, Dylan wrote in. What's the best prank pulled on you or near you when working at NHL game? Um, for me, it was in New Jersey. Um, we were there, and it was before I got my press pass. Walked in, and one of the security guys asked me who I was. And uh, Steve Sumner, Sudsy, the Stars equipment manager, assistant equipment manager, basically said, "Yeah, I have no idea who that guy is. I've never seen him in my life." <laughs> and so the security guy starts trying to walk me out of the building. And he waited uncomfortably long before we almost get completely down the hallway. And I'm like, no, I'm... Wow. So, Way to go, Sudsy. Yeah. But, you know, that's just best as far as someone who I know who did it. Uh, I, 
seen there's been sometimes there's some guys who like to put tape on the back of that's not really a great prank but you've seen guys who put the tape players put the tape on back of pack of union members backs and everything so so i haven't had much knock on wood in the nhl but in the ahl our equipment guys once in a while would like to try to hide my radio gear which was in a big pelican case and i would find it sitting in one of the like visiting locker room bathrooms or you know, like hidden somewhere every now and then. I obviously helped him with the gear, but once in a while I'd have to go searching for it. Yeah. All right. Do you want to hit any others before we wrap this up? There's like, I see real quickly here. Um, Are this, not sure, this Carson, not sure if answered, but are the stats coaching staff giving out workouts to the stars? Are the stars coaching staff giving out workouts or is it up to the players? Um, the players have been given kind of plans from uh, from Jelly, the strength, the strength coach, and stuff like that. They have kind of plans they've been working on. Um, it isn't it isn't a rigor step by step, but they're kind of certain key points they're hitting. All right, we uh, Zach asked a question about coaching staff, which we went into detailed last week about so, bones. Yeah. So I think we're going to wrap it up. But Sean, it's another fun one, another way too long, and yet we keep doing it every week. Yep. Yeah, I agree. It's fun, though. And uh, next time I'll remember to bring my phone charger upstairs. We've turned into a game of Russian roulette. Well, where my laptop? Will my laptop power hold on? I'm down to 4% battery right now. No wonder you're giving me the wrap it up. Well, on that note, it is time to end. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate all your support. Keep those questions coming. And we will see you next week for Episode 5.